0: Whatever she did, and really she did an incredible deal, she did it with all the might of her dramatic perception. Did it, in fact, with such earnestness that she had no time to have an eye to the gallery at all. She simply contemplated herself at her own vigorous accomplishment. When she played the piano, as she frequently did, reserving an hour for practice every day, she cared not in the smallest degree for what anybody who passed down the road outside her house might be thinking of the roulades that poured from her open window. She was simply Emmeline Lucas, absorbed in glorious Bach or dainty Scarletti or noble Beethoven. The latter, perhaps, was her favourite composer, and many were the evenings when, with lights quenched and only the soft effulgence of the moon pouring in through the uncurtained windows, She sat with her profile cameo-like, or like perhaps to the head on a postage stamp, against the dark oak walls of her music-room, and entranced herself and her listeners, if there were people to dinner, with the exquisite pathos of the first movement of the Moonlight Sonata. Devotedly, as she worshipped the master, whose picture hung above her Steinway Grand, she could never bring herself to believe that the two succeeding movements— on the same sublime level as the first. And besides, they went very much faster. But she had seriously thought, as she came down in the train today and planned her fresh activities at home, of trying to master them, so that she could get through their intricacies with tolerable accuracy. Until then, she would assuredly stop at the end of the first movement in these moonlit séances and say that the other two were more like morning and afternoon. Then, with a sigh, she would softly shut the piano lid, and, perhaps wiping a little genuine moisture from her eyes, would turn on the electric light, and, taking up a book from the table in which a paper-knife marked the extent of her penetration, say, Georgie, you must really promise me to read this life of Antonino Caporelli the moment I have finished it. I never understood the rise of the Venetian school before. As I read it, I can smell the salt tide creeping up over the lagoon, and see the campanile of dear Tocello. And Georgie would put down the tambour on which he was working his copy of an Italian cope, and sigh too. You are too wonderful, he would say. How do you find the time for everything? She rejoined with the apothem that made the rounds of rhizome the next day. My dear, it is just busy people that have time for everything. It might be thought that even such activities as have here been indicated would be enough to occupy anyone so busily that he would positively not have time for more. But such was far from being the case with Mrs. Lucas. Just as the painter Rubens amused himself with being the ambassador to the court of St. James a sufficient career in itself for most busy men, so Mrs Lucas amused herself, in the intervals of her pursuit of art for art's sake, with being not only an ambassador but a monarch. Rizal might, perhaps, according to the crude materialism of maps, be included in the Kingdom of Great Britain, but in a more real and inward sense it formed a complete kingdom of its own, and its queen was undoubtedly Mrs Lucas who ruled it with a secure autocracy pleasant to contemplate at a time when thrones were toppling and imperial crowns whirling like dead leaves down the autumn winds. The ruler of Rizalm, happier than he of Russia, had no need to fear the finger of Bolshevism writing on the wall, for there was not in the whole of that vat which seethed so pleasantly with culture one bubble of revolutionary ferment. Here there was neither poverty nor discontent nor muttered menace of any upheaval. Mrs Lucas, busy and serene, worked harder than any of her subjects and exercised an autocratic control over a nominal democracy.